I actually do think back to that moment he came up to me and he said, you, you must drive. And I think that's when I thought, okay, this is what it's about. This is perseverance. Do you ever reflect on what your unique gifts and talents are? It's rare as women to take a moment to think of ourselves in this way. But what would happen if we made an effort to dig into what our gifts are and how we could get more enjoyment, growth and fulfilment from them in our everyday life? This is Topmast, the podcast for women in the middle of their personal and professional journey, who value continuous learning and growth and who want to dedicate time to understand themselves better. This is a space for us to collectively dive deep and witness our true talents, to feel seen by a community of women on a similar journey, and to celebrate and understand our gifts no matter where we are in life. My name is Beck Newman. I'm a creative director living and working in London. In each episode of Top Mast, I'll be in conversation with different people who identify as women about what they believe to be their greatest gifts in life. We'll unpack how each woman discovered these gifts, how she nurtures them, and how they manifest in her professional and personal lives. The women I speak to are so generous with sharing their journeys, and all of them are uncovering some brilliant insights, no matter how old they are, where they come from, where they work, or where their passions lie. I hope that in listening to these conversations, you feel invited to reflect on what your own gifts are. Because I believe that once we acknowledge and nurture our unique gifts, we can find an ongoing sense of fulfillment, wonder and purpose in our lives. My guest today is my friend Lizzie Crotty, who I think has had one of the most interesting and varied career and life paths for someone who is only in her 30s. Lizzie began her career following her passion of conservation which led her to live in multiple countries across several continents. And in between it all, she also started her own business in a completely different sector. Now based in the UK, she heads up the Australian Wildlife Conservancy in the UK and Europe. Lizzie was invited to become a fellow of the Royal Geographical Society in 2021. And she is also one of 110 women globally on the Women in STEM Leadership Initiative run by Homeward Bound. In our conversation, Lizzie talks me through how she grew her self-confidence by immersing herself in different experiences, why she always interacts with other people from a place of compassion, empathy and vulnerability, and an incredible story about a challenging moment in her life where she learned to persevere. I'd love to know how you would define what a gift is. I reckon Mm. having a gift almost implies that you're given something maybe from birth or like a talent is something that you innately have or you don't have. So Mm. I would actually define a gift as something that you what would the word be? You hone your craft. So it's something that you work at and work at and work at until it looks like it's a gift, if you get what I mean. Mm -hmm. So it's something that you've identified you want to be like that trait and then you've put in the time and energy and effort all day, every day, whenever, to actually appear like you're gifted. That's probably Mm -hmm. what I would say. Mm. And have you sort of thought about gifts in that way always? uh no I was probably like the I don't know is it six million people that have bought this book but I read The Growth Mindset (laughs) by Carol Dweck I think she literally says it's about six million copies sold but it's for a good reason because it made me look at things and talents and um these sort of personality traits that sometimes people will uh label other people with and it almost makes it seem like that person didn't have to work at it so for example like you could say Michael Jordan's gifted at basketball but he actually had to practice and practice and practice you know for however many hours but all we see as the public is the outcome and then it's like oh Mm -hmm. wow he's gifted so yeah she really um changed my way of thinking on about that yeah so obviously 
for this podcast. What I did get you to prep is to have a think about three things that you would consider to be your, you know, top gifts that you have in life. Have you ever actually, have you ever given this thought before? Yeah, I guess I think, you know, it's those classic questions that you see on a job interview or something and it's like, oh, what would you consider your best three strengths to be? And more and more, apparently, according to places like LinkedIn, uh, people are more interested in your soft skills. So things like what do you consider yourself to excel in that's not necessarily like, oh, I'm really great at spreadsheets or something like that. So it is something I've thought about and as I've you know, gone through life and become a lot more self-aware. Um, I guess I can identify certain things in myself that may or may not be un- in other people or more often is that I look at another person and I'm like, wow, okay, they have amazing X, Y, Z, you know, confidence. They have amazing accountability or something like that, those soft skills Um and yeah, I, I think it's just evolved over time. Hmm. So how did you go about approaching this exercise this time? Uh, it was a lot of fun, actually. I had a little bit of a think through, you know, my own life, my career history, but it was, it was hard because there are things that I consider, it's like, what do I consider the top three to be, the top three most important, I'd say. And I mm-hmm. guess um, the way I thought about this exercise was probably like turning points. So times when I felt um, or identified or develop, developed a certain gift was probably like a big turning point in my life and the way I was thinking about things and the way I was um, thinking about myself. I love that. That's really interesting. So did you consult anybody else or did you? was it just all kind of tapping in just on your own? Oh, well, look, I never um, miss an opportunity for other people to tell me how great I am. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I got my uh, sister's opinion and I spoke to my partner, Miles. And, um, yeah, it was interesting because I think the things I really uh, identify with myself are probably things that, you know, we were, we were on the same page. They were saying the same things. Mm, nice. So, yeah, a bit of validation then. Yeah, and also, you know, if I think, oh, wow, I'm so good at juggling and then I go and ask other people and they're like, oh, your greatest gifts are definitely not juggling. Like, <laughs> you know, let's let's look at other things. <laughs> so surprise, surprise, you haven't put juggling down as one of your top gifts. Um, <laughs> mate, look, I've just turned 33. Uh, sorry, 34, geez. And, um, yeah, I still can't juggle, so. Yeah. Uh... Well, the first thing that you've listed down as one of your gifts is self-confidence. So can you tell me a bit about that, what you mean by that? Yeah, sure. And it's a bit of a tricky one to define because uh, it's it can mean so many different things. And I think now we, uh, you know, often lump it together with your external, you know, how you look externally, you know, dress confidently and speak confidently. But I think for me, the self-confidence really, or the lack of self-confidence, I should say, um, came from a feeling of sort of being less than others. So you're also always sort of feeling like you're comparing your skills um, or your abilities or, or your looks, you know, to other people um, that you want to be like or other people that you admire. When I really was feeling this, this lack of self-confidence, I was, you know, you're in uni, you're just about to finish and only really still a child at that age (laughs) everything is like big and scary and it feels like the rest of the world or in particular like grown-ups you know professional people they're still this completely different species um and as with all new grads you know you're kind of stuck in this um cycle of needing experience to get a job but you can't get a job without experience um Mm. which is quite demoralizing when you keep applying and applying and applying 
um, you know, and like, you know, to be honest, I actually was getting rejected from literally volunteer positions at one stage. So (laughs) it was deep. But I I studied environmental science and so I was Mm -hmm. one of the people that, um, you know, I chose to to follow a dream Um, and I've always been really interested in in the environment and conservation, but it is notoriously difficult to get a job in it. Uh, But, you know, did it anyway. And I did keep going and I kept applying, but I was, I was really, really excited um, that in my final year I got a position with um, uh, Te Papa Tonga, which is the National Museum of New Zealand, and I got a job in the research centre uh, and that was working with these incredible um, biologists. You know, I'd just written my thesis and I was referencing Smith at Owl, and then I was there standing next to Smith, like literally, <laughs> like yeah. So I was working with um different species of seabird there, and yeah. Uh, yeah. So I went on several trips to these really remote offshore islands, um, and we were there to collect life history data on these different species of of burrowing seabirds. So they nest um, under the ground, and yeah, as a new grad um, on my little volunteer position I was pretty overwhelmed and intimidated and you know you're kind of there in pretty rough conditions like there's no running water there's no electricity no no toilets definitely no showers it's just literally you tents and a whole island of seabirds so um you know having no facilities you have to improvise we couldn't um, dig holes to go to the toilet because we're working with burrowing seabirds (laughs) So the only option you have in that position is to walk to the quiet end of the beach, um, perch yourself over the um, uh, perch yourself on the couple of rocks, you know, um, over the water with just enough wave action, but not too mm-hmm. much getting swept away, and literally poo into the sea. So <laughs> <laughs> it was a really pivotal moment. I suppose it was like a humbling moment where I just, I realised that all of these people that I'm so scared of are literally just people. Like we're all just humans. Mm. And, you know, it's it's a way of just bringing, I suppose, taking people there, what, what you build them up to be in your head and just being like, oh, right, we're all just exactly the same. And so from there, it was really interesting because I, you know, I was like, well, why am I so scared of them? Why, why is this affecting my self-confidence so much? And, um, and yeah, so I often reflect back on that experience and just think, yeah, well, you know, everyone has to pull in the sea sometimes. Yeah, that's so interesting. I think you and I have talked a lot, like over the years about imposter syndrome and kind of combating that. And I've always thought that, like, I mean, I barely have imposter syndrome now because it's a very similar thing to you. You know, you kind of go to lots of different work things and meet lots of different people and you start to realise that, you know, oh, actually, like, yeah, like I'm on par at least with these people. So what do you put this turning point down to like is it is it because you were getting out of your comfort zone is it just the kind of new experiences like why do you think it was such a big turning point in the end I think um it was just purely because of the way I kind of went into that experience and thinking you know what's wrong with me I can't get a job I'm um not good enough I studied the wrong thing. I was stupid to start, like, you know, follow my dreams, like classic millennial. And then I've ended up not being able to get a job. And, um, yeah, so it was, like, quite demoralising, I think. And what it came down to, without sounding too cliche, was a bit of a change in mindset. And it was thinking, okay, well, look, I'm, it's not an us or them. It's just every everyone's human. When I'm talking to these people, I started to, after kind of being in this job and having those experiences, I, I found myself being able to talk to people differently, interact with people differently and think of myself as more of an equal, um, an equal Mm. who's just eager to learn. 
you know, at the end of the day, that's all a new grad is and that's all an intern is. You're just there to learn. And I think being in that type of experience where it's so raw and out of your comfort zone and um, and all that kind of stuff, yeah, it was that was sort of the reason why. But I, I have to say, like, after that experience, we were there, I think, for nearly a month and I was absolutely hooked. I went to, I think, like five other islands after that and I worked with some amazing species and, um, yeah, it was really, it was really, really fun. And, yeah, and I just had a really, really great time. And the only difference was is the way I was thinking about myself. You know, every experience is relatively the same, different island, mm. different species of seabird, but my main difference is that I would go into it with a lot more confidence about what I can bring. Mm. Sort of at the start of our conversation, you also mentioned that you sort of feel like gifts are things that people work at over time and put the hours and the days in. Mm. In terms of this gift of sort of confidence, obviously you've had that turning point kind of in your first role out of uni. How have you since then continued to grow this do you, is it something that you pay attention to? Are there any other sort of big moments where you felt like it's given you another big boost or do you feel like it's kind of like consistent over time? I think you kind of nailed it before when you were talking about imposter syndrome and it's something um, my sister and I speak about a lot and she's a lawyer and I'm, you know, I've gone to uni, got a degree, got a master's and everything like that but I, I still get imposter syndrome she's got imposter syndrome and it's just so common with so many women and um something that she said was the only thing you know if you're if you're ever doubting yourself and you're feeling like an imposter the only thing you need to consider is that if Donald Trump can become president of the USA <laughs> Surely, surely I can work in, I can walk into this networking reception and talk to a couple of people here and know what I'm talking <laughs> about. So if the actual imposters are not feeling like they have imposter syndrome, then surely we should probably not feel that as well. <laughs> the So the self-confidence, I suppose, if I can just do a slight branch off that as well, I reckon yeah. is... Um, and it's a little bit, I suppose, imposter syndrome in a way because it's learning how to fake it till you make it. And mm. that was so, that was a very big turning point for me as well is, um, you know, if you if you get an opportunity to do something and it's that classic example of women only apply for jobs that are, you've got 100% of the things on your mm. resume whereas yeah. a bloke will apply for something that's something crazy like 60%. And even if you can't do X, Y, Z, which is something so niche and specific, but you know that you can if you just have a bit of a chance or if you, um, you know, put a bit of time into learning it, you can kind of, you can do it. And so it's mm. just fake that little bit at the start because you know that you're actually going to do an amazing job. And mm. when I moved to Johannesburg, I um, started a business there and this is completely separate to conservation. I actually started a small recruiting company and I had never, ever recruited anything before and uh, didn't have any idea about the terminology or anything like that. And, um, yeah, and, look, just started talking to people and had to completely fake it until I made it. I literally Googled how to be a recruiter and um, just kind of, you know, did it on the fly and ended up having a really, you know, it wasn't obviously going to take over the world, but had a relatively successful small business for nearly three years. Yeah, that's amazing. I think actually that's quite a good segue into what you've listed as gift number two, which is perseverance. So can you talk me through what you mean by that? Oh, Definitely. Uh, I think it's learning that there is no option to stop. Like there's no option to give up, I suppose. It's sounding very hardcore, like, you know, you're never allowed to give <laughs> up. Like those tech bros, entrepreneurs, how they do those. But um, 
what I kind of mean is if you're stuck with adversity and even if it's really, really bad, like terribly bad, you know, you have two choices. One of them is to keep going and one of them is to totally give up. And mm. for me, it was, yeah, it, again, very pivotal moment of me learning this is that you, you just don't have an option to give up. There's not going to be anyone to come and save you. You've just got to keep going. You know, you've got to, you've got to make yourself work through this issue. So do you feel like you've always been like this? Um, probably not, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I was probably quite maybe easy on myself, I want to say. Like not, not necessarily, but I think I was more sometimes I would find myself looking at, okay, that's too hard. What's the easy way out? What's the easy option here? Or that's too hard. I don't want to do that. Or that's too hard because I might not be able to finish it or I might not be able to do it. And I sort of, I guess, always feeling like I had a fallback plan. Like I could do that, but I'm always going to be, I'm always going to have this kind of um, safety net if I don't do that. And so I, I think when I, when I really did learn the true meaning of perseverance was when I uh, moved to Zambia. So after I did my work with um, the seabirds and had a great time, mm-hmm. I uh, ended up, again, I was, I was sort of thinking, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to become a seabird researcher. But there, was, there were no jobs in that at the time at all. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, let's, just, let's try something else. And I took an internship opportunity in rural Zambia and I was there working on a 38,000 hectare, um, like, like an agricultural commercial farm. I'd never, ever been to Africa. I'd never experienced anything quite like that. It's total, total culture shock. Um, and, yeah, and so I was there and just getting to know the farm, getting to know the area. And um, I think I'd only been there for maybe two or three days. And one of the um, people who worked there said, okay, well, look, we've got to pay the the local farmers. So as a way for you to get to know the area, why don't you go with, um, you know, one of our farmers here and he can help you distribute the cash. So we had a bag full of cash. (laughs) Looking back now, it sounds actually quite crazy, but we had a bag full of cash and a a man on the back of the ute who was carrying it and he also had a gun and then I was in the it was a two-person ute and so he was he was sitting in the tray we were just you know in the cab and anyway so I was driving on these roads and it was something out of like four-wheel drive weekly or something like most intense four-wheel drive tracks in the world it really yeah so it was it was really hard going on that road um and we got to a certain area where you know, we'd been bumbling along, bumbling along, and then there was a, a couple, um, Zambian couple, who were on their motorbike, and they um, they sort of came up in, in, to the inside lane. So I was I was there on the right. They were on the left of the road. Well, it was actually just complete sand. It was quite deep sand, so it was really, really slippery. And they sort of swerved a little bit into me um, coming over to the right uh, and I couldn't swerve in time to get out of the way because the sand was so deep and we ended up having an accident. And it was probably the single most horrific moment of my life because we were about four hours away from any civilization at all. It was, um, there were a couple of really, really small villages around. There was no electricity. There was no um, uh, phone signal or anything. And I got out of the car and I literally, I thought I thought I had killed them. Um, and luckily I was, you know, never, ever felt so much relief to actually see they were okay. There were just a couple of, um, he'd, so it was a couple on the, on the motorcycle. One of them had hurt his leg and the other one, she had some scrapes from the motorbike. Um, but they had, they had, you know, 50 kilos of um, ground nuts, you know, what they've been growing, like on the back of the bike, they were everywhere. Um, the bike was completely totaled. And so anyway, so I was there um, in the middle of nowhere, the only person, the only non-Zambian person for, you know, four or five hours in any direction with no phone signal. And I just completely broke down. I just was mm. hyperventilating, you know, 
It was beyond mm. any panic I'd ever been in. Um, and I was just so, I just felt so awful as well for these for these people and they couldn't speak English. Um, so the person who was from the, the company who I was in the car with, he, he was a Zambian but he could speak English so he was sort of trying to translate for me. But, you know, they were really angry and they were they were hurt and sore and in pain. Anyway, so we, um, so he, that's all sort of going on. And I've walked away because I just thought I, I just need to like walk down the road a little bit and just try and breathe. And uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, and the, uh, the the Zambian bloke from our comp from the he came up to me, and he'd loaded the he'd loaded the the wrecked motorbike. He'd loaded even their the ground nuts that had all fallen into the sand and stuff, they'd like collected them out of the sand because it's their livelihood, you know. Um, mm. Back into the ute. Then the two people in the back of the ute um, who had been in the accident um, with the security guard there. And I, you know, was struggling to sort of control myself and he just came up to me and he's like, Lizzie, you must drive. Like you must drive. There's no one else that can drive us back right now. Um, so, you know, we've got people who have been hurt and we have to go. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, sort of one of the hardest things I've ever done is just getting back in that car and having to turn around and then drive five hours through on these roads. Wow. Through all of these villages where, um, you know, the local community, they were like, "What? what's happened? What's happened? Like, and they were all yelling in Zambian and I was, um, I was, you know, I couldn't understand and everyone's angry because they, they just looked at me as a white woman who's just caused this accident or something. And um, there were ev- every single moment through that five hours I just was like I would give anything just to, to, to give up, you know, to yeah. have that moment of someone else being able to take over this situation. But there was no one else. There was no, there's no phone signal. There's no ambulance to come save you. So um, I had to drive and I had to do that five hours back to the closest town. And, yeah, by the time I got there it was I felt like I'd aged several years. <laughs> but I actually do think back to that moment he came up to me and he said, you, you must drive, like you have mm. to drive. And I think that's when I thought, okay, this is this is what it's about, this is perseverance. <laughs> Wow, what a story. I mean, that's incredible. I I think it's so interesting what you're talking about in terms of these big turning points in your life where you've had to just kind of tap into something that you didn't realise was there. And that's what I'm finding quite interesting. It's kind of like to me you're saying that it's something that you weren't born with but I'm wondering if maybe it was there all along but you just needed these moments to make you see it yeah that's interesting I reckon um I I think it's something that you know when you're raised I I mean I have a lot to obviously thank my parents for I've had an incredibly privileged life but it is looking at other people around I think I was looking at other people around me to sort of draw on these traits or these gifts. So something I really admire, you know, in my mum is this perseverance. And, you know, she's a dentist, she raised three children, um, both her and dad were working full time, starting businesses, and she just kept going. You know, you just have to, you just don't have an option to stop. So it, I think it's like drawing on the yeah, like I said at the start of our conversation, it's looking at the things that I really admire in other people, and I think, wow, that person is tenacious, or wow, that is an incredible way to respond to that um, that type of situation. How do I become more like that? And yeah, maybe it is, maybe it is something like a little bit born with and modeling myself, like trying to model um, myself on others as well to to sort of hone mm-hmm. hone the gift. What I also find interesting about your Zambia story and also the example you just gave of your mum, so you're saying both your parents are working full time and so they just have to keep going, you know, provide for the family 
And then in your Zambia story, you know, you had to be the one that drove everybody to wherever you needed to go. So I find it quite interesting that when you say perseverance, it's it's like, I guess you could think of perseverance in terms of like someone's career and it could be down to their ambition. But what you're describing to me is actually a perseverance that's not just to do with you and achieving your dreams, but actually there is an element of like having to persevere for others. Yeah. Wow. I actually have never <laughs> thought about that. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like that's kind of, I mean, obviously like I would say that you are an ambitious person career wise and you do really um, put a lot of effort into pursuing your passions, but thinking beyond the Zambia example, is this sort of a trend in your life where there is an element of having to persevere for other people as well? Yeah, I reckon. I think um, my family and, yeah, my partner would probably call it stubbornness <laughs> as well. <laughs> but I have kind of been like that and uh, I guess pretty stubborn to give up on something. And that can be a trait or a gift and it can also be a detriment. <laughs> but I, I do think um, working in conservation is yeah, like I said, it's just such a it's such a um, privilege to be able to work in something like I'm just so passionate about. You know, from day one, it's always always been my dream, but it just it didn't come easily. You know, it was it was I had to persevere and I had to, um, you know, kind of be okay with adapting on the fly and being okay with taking. Um, taking steps that not weren't necessarily a step forward, they were a step sideways or a step back or they were a step in a zigzaggy way and, you know, kind of just thinking, okay, well, I'm going to take this because it is a step, even if it doesn't feel like it's going forward, but I'm, at least I'm doing something and I'm gaining new skills and I'm still, um, I've got my eye on the prize, you know, I'm still persevering for that dream I suppose of working in conservation and being able to contribute to the things I care most about uh, but yeah it does it does take a lot of perseverance I think from a personal viewpoint to uh, to do that. I definitely feel like this sounds like it's really connected to your dreams and your passions. I think a big reason why I've always really gotten along with you is I feel like you do action your dreams. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like from an outside perspective, looking at your life and the kind of interesting things that you've done, you've lived in different countries, started your own business. From the outside, it kind of looks like all these sort of steps were a bit of a no-brainer for you. So... When you're thinking about perseverance, I guess for me as an outsider looking in at you, it seems like it, it it's not something that you have to overthink. But what's it like on your inside world? Like do you have to really like have a pep talk with yourself like <laughs> to like persevere or like or is it something that you feel like these days you don't have to overthink? Oh, no, definitely, definitely on the thinking part. But I um, love that I just project this. <laughs> How great. Well, I guess it kind of ties into what you were saying at the start of like gifts, you know, from the outside, people that have these gifts, they make it look easy. For sure. Oh, well, look, I'm glad I'm making it look easy. Let's just say that. <laughs> but I think something I've been thinking about a lot is if I think about an end goal, and even if I don't know exactly what that looks like or it's not exactly a job title or um, or a certain place or whatever, but if I look at, again, looking at others, looking at people I admire, and I think, okay, well, what would that person do? So if I think, okay, I want to be a CEO one day, what would mm -hmm. a CEO do in this situation? And I think that can help in a in a perseverance perspective and it can also help in even just a decision-making perspective because sometimes it's, you know, when you come up against these roadblocks 
and you think, okay, well, I actually don't really know what to do. And then you just think, okay, well, what would, what would, you know, a CEO do right now? Or what would say if your idol is, you know, Warren Buffett, what would Warren Buffett do right now? And that I think is part of the reminding of myself or the thinking of this perseverance because it would be easy to just think oh it's a little bit too hard yeah I think I might Mm. skip that one and just sort of get into that give up mentality but yeah I I think um when things do seem hard you just think okay is that what that person would do um and yeah so that's that's more from a people perspective but something that I draw on a lot is probably um you know, I think, well, why am I doing this? Why am I working in my field? And it's because I think, oh, well, look, if I do this, it's going to have a good outcome for conservation. It's going to have a good outcome for wildlife. So you better bloody get your skates on and get it done. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's like, uh, it's almost like you're making decisions for your future self, but also for future others and also creatures of the world in your line of work (laughs) yeah yeah. others others we are nature (laughs) yeah oh I love that um so your third and final gift that we're going to chat about today you've listed that as compassion and empathy so what do you mean by that one yeah I actually wanted to sneak on a little third segue to that as well as vulnerability Suppose we can bring it under that oh, umbrella. Okay, yes. Yeah. So talk to me about that umbrella, that trifecta. The trifecta, exactly. <laughs> I, think, I think that that encompasses so much of what we want to see in the world. It's it's compassion, empathy, vulnerability. It's the ability to see, um, to feel what others are feeling in a way that creates interactions where, you know, we're not all enemies. And I know it sounds very utopian to say this, but if you go into even any type of negotiation and if you think I'm I'm against this person, then, of course, you're going to be combative, you're going to be probably a little bit aggressive, um, probably not going to be the nicest person to deal with. But if you think, oh, look, okay, this person, what does this person want? They probably want to close the deal. Cool. Well, let's try and make this as nice and pleasant and easy for both of us. And I think that, again, has been a very big turning point in the way I think about things and the way I think about interacting with other people. And um, it's been really helpful in interacting with maybe not so pleasant people and thinking, okay, that person is a real see you next Tuesday but is there you know there's probably a really quite terrible reason they are like that they've that they have to live their life like that yeah and yeah also further to that even if there isn't a particularly terrible reason why they have to live like that it's actually must be really awful to to have to live your life like that to be a nasty person I actually mm. just think that's that's really sad and, um, you know, I'm sorry that that person feels that they have to conduct themselves that way because it must be really hard to be them. And, uh, yeah, so that's kind of what I, I think with that, with um, having that type of compassion and, and empathy and also being able to be vulnerable in a point that encourages others to be compassionate and empathetic as well. Yeah, it's disarming. I, like I I think, you know, even um, in a work environment, I think it's so valuable to be vulnerable and to kind of let the facade down. It invites other people to feel like they can be themselves. Yeah, totally. I think even during COVID, like even just on a very face level type of example, I remember, you know, you'd go into meetings people who are in a suit and tie and frankly quite intimidating in these big fancy offices and then Mm. you know I'd catch up with them on zoom for the you know sixth or seventh time and then by then all the different parts of the suit have come off the jacket's gone the tie's gone the shirt they're just there in literally trackies with you know a cat on their shoulder or something yeah, that's vulnerability. It's it's just letting your, I suppose, letting people in 
um, past a facade of what we want people to see. That can be as small as like the suit and tie thing or it can be more like um, I love that we're now in an era where people can open up more about things that are going on in their lives, whether it be mental health or mm -hmm. um, some sort of, you know, disability or something like that. It's it's not something hopefully we're heading that way um, that people want to hide because I think it's shameful. I really love that um, we're seeing more of that type of opening up. Mm. I agree. So what what makes these things, compassion, empathy, vulnerability, what makes these a gift to you in terms of thinking about that definition of what a gift is to you? How how do these fit in there? I reckon it's it's a gift to be able to see someone for more than what they are on the surface and it's mm. probably what I would consider yeah a gift to be to look into maybe some of the reasons why they're doing something or the reasons why people act that way or even what their motivations are as well and I think that that create it requires another step of thinking so there's something you look at in a face value but it is something you have to kind of work at to be like okay if I was this person you know, why would I be doing this thing? So it is something I've um, tried to develop further over the years because there is so much research about how important um, these two things are just to interact with people, not just in the workplace but just in life, and, and take that extra step to really think, okay, I've got your, it's like you're like an iceberg, you know, you see the tip of the iceberg as a person and it's not until you actually look beneath the surface there are so many more layers and it's been really interesting working in fundraising um, here in the UK because you know if you get your tip of the iceberg people might say okay well I'm I'm Beck and I do this for work and I like trees cool but unless you really see under the water to see the rest of that iceberg I'm not going to know that you know you had a sort of transformational moment in your teens where you nursed a baby Joey back to health and since then you've just been obsessed with wallabies and that kind of thing you know you're not gonna you're not gonna know that until you get to know that person and think about how they've grown up and what they do um how they how they interact with people how they interact with their environment and things like that yeah so I think it's just an extra mm. step to get to know someone and so would you say that you use that, you know, that ability to be vulnerable around people? Is that kind of like the pathway to the compassion and empathy? Is that, you know, like if you're kind of talking with someone, is it the vulnerability that you use to be able to get beneath the surface and see the rest of that iceberg? Oh, my gosh, definitely. I think as soon as mm -hmm. you are real with someone, they're going to be they're going to want to be their real, their real selves with you. And it's the same as soon as you feel confident to sort of laugh at yourself or make a joke. Um, it really just breaks the ice for other people to be able to take off this mask of what they might mm. think you want to see. And, yeah, and and I, I really love doing that, people, and um, trying to... I suppose, disarm, but not in a negative way. It's disarming yeah. in a way that I just want to be able to reach that sort of deeper part of people because um, mm. I think it creates so many more just really quality interactions that you can have. Mm. Yeah. there's It's just been so interesting going, sort of trying to conduct myself like that and you don't know how people are going to react um, but when I do, you know, I just really do love it. And it's, you know, sometimes really moving these interactions you can have with total, like people that would, would have been a total stranger to you. And hopefully you've, they've got a lot out of it. Cause I always get a lot out of it when you can have some of these conversations where you do, um, get past that initial kind of wall that people sometimes feel that they have to have with the world. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think, um, it does take a lot of courage to be the person that's vulnerable first. How do you 
manage that? How do you find that confidence and and bravery? I think being able, like being quite sure with myself in a way. So being able to kind of back myself and thinking if I'm going to say this to somebody and they might take it the wrong way, that's okay. But it is, you know, having enough respect and I suppose love and confidence in yourself that, all right, that's okay. That didn't work. Move on. Persevere. (laughs) You know, and having that, I guess, um, yeah, sort of ability to think, all right, well, that wasn't, didn't quite land right, but Mm. when it does, it feels amazing. So that's kind of where it keeps coming from. I think it is super interesting how the three gifts that you've chosen to talk about today, they all really interconnect, like in a really big way. I'm finding that everyone I've spoken to, there are a lot of kind of, you know, connecting threads between what we're talking about. But like today I'm really feeling it, (laughs) you know, like you were just saying, You've got to kind of have the confidence to persevere. You know, sometimes you'll kind of open up and be vulnerable with people and try and, you know, be compassionate, but you won't always get that back. But still, you're persevering with it. Um, So I find that super interesting. I'd love to know, like, thinking about all of these things that we've talked about today, how connected are these gifts to what you think of as your identity, as like who Lizzie is? That's such a good one. I reckon um, really, really connected now that I'm a bit older and I think when I was younger it would have been, you know, early in my career it probably would have been very, very different things and it might have been more hard, like um, sort of hard skills that I've mm. or, or not hard skills but it would be more um External things to me, like I really identified with being a scientist and a seabird researcher and that was my full, full, full identity. Mm-hmm. And then when I kind of had to pivot away from that, went to Zambia, went to South Africa, then everything like that, it was quite hard for me to like lose that part of my identity uh, to sort of trust that I would be able to come back into the world of conservation and I just have to keep working at it. But now I reckon... Yeah, I, I think this is a massive part of, of my identity and I do um, appreciate that, you know, you've said that you acknowledge that in me because I think they're things that I do admire in myself and mm. um, I guess it's one of those things where you think, oh, well, if if you are having those days where you're like, oh, God, okay, this is just all a bit too much, <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe I should just go and, you know, live on a live in a cabin in the middle of nowhere um oh we all have those days <laughs> no <laughs> but then I think oh well you kind of got in a way a like a identity that you've created for yourself but it's what other people identify with you as well so if you're mm. coming to me saying I've always seen you as being very ambitious it makes it a lot harder for me to not be ambitious because it's almost like you've given <laughs> me a label in a way luckily positive this time but I guess this could also work very negatively if people are giving you negative labels but um for me I think that helps I look a lot to the people I care about and I respect and I think what they think of me um and I want to live up to that you know I want to um I want my family to be proud of me and my parents and they've put so much into my upbringing and my education and everything it's just it means a lot to me when I can do that um and I know that they really respect that and they're very proud of that. But at the end of the day as well, that's sounding very much like I have to rely on external validation. (laughs) But at the end of the day, you know, all I can do is control my own actions and my own reactions and it is something I care about in myself Um, and it makes me feel good to do that, to keep keep going and to to do um, the things I'm doing and meeting amazing people that I'm meeting. Hmm. So, I mean, it's wonderful to hear that you do have people in your life that you've surrounded yourself with who are willing to let you know what they think your gifts are and give you that validation. If that all disappeared, 
hypothetically, like that's not going to happen. But if that all disappeared, identifying yourself through gifts like these, does that mean that you are always going to have that strong sense of identity? Obviously, it's nice to have those external factors, but if they disappeared, are the internal factors enough? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's so interesting. I reckon like if I... I think about this quite a lot. You know, if I didn't have my career, then what would my identity be or what would I, um, how would I feel differently about myself? Because it is such a big part of what I want and what I want to be doing. And it's, yeah, it's it's such a privilege to have the job I do. And um, I think I'd struggle. I'd, I'd really struggle if I um, didn't have my career and I reckon so say hypothetically if everything just you know whatever I woke up and I didn't have anything tomorrow then yeah I, I think I would have to just draw on these things we've been talking about today and you know you've got to start somewhere you just go from go from wherever you can and think okay I've done this before I can do it again and it's a bit of a you know a bit of hard yakka but you you'll get there <laughs> you just have to do one foot in front of the other um, and yeah, something else that I think, um, really reminds me of, of this stuff is I suppose to appreciate when good times happen, like appreciate when you have a lot of things going for you. And it's funny because mum says this and she says, you know, enjoy the good times because they don't last forever, <laughs> which sounds quite <laughs> pessimistic, but it actually, in a way it works the other way because you think. God, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky to have everything going this way. And mm. for me, it makes me really, really enjoy that because it's true. You know, you've got a you've got a really good run, and then sometimes it completely um, uh, sort of deteriorates and goes downhill. So you do have to appreciate when you've got these incredible things going for you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Top Mast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm.